Well, good morning. It is wonderful to be back. And uh, thank you for um, willingness to let me and my family get a couple of weeks away to refresh. Um, we uh, went to Disney World, which was not refreshing, uh, at least for my body. But, um, but my mind is refreshed, which is often uh, where I uh, feel the most fatigued sometimes. And uh, hopefully, Sarah, you feel refreshed. I think she does. But uh, thank you all. And uh, thank you, Jamin, for uh, filling the pulpit wise out and Joshua running the staff and, and, uh, and all of the leaders who always make things uh, go, even when uh, the leaders that you see most often aren't in front of you. It's a testimony to God's goodness uh, to our church and, and, and all the leaders and gifted people he's given us. Uh, before we uh, dive into the world word, though, I do think it's appropriate that we thank our God this Memorial Day weekend. As uh, we're about to open up God's word, we've been singing, we've been fellowshipping. Many of us will go into cookouts maybe later today or tomorrow. And, uh, and I think we, we often take it for granted, just the freedom that we have. And so let me just pray as I get ready to open up God's word and thank him. Um, as we think about the, uh, those who have given their lives, um, for the service of this country, even though war is a product of the curse, um, the Lord has used um, men and women who have served um, in the government and the, ar the army uh, and the military to give their lives for us. And here's just one byproduct of many that we have received. Let me pray and thank the Lord. Dear Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the gift of government. Um, it is a gift, even though oftentimes we complain, um, but Lord, you give us order, you give us protection, and, and Lord, we're mindful this weekend of those who have given their lives um, to protect this country, and, uh, and Lord, we are benefitors of that, and I know my generation, um, we don't appreciate it nearly as many of the others who have felt the cost maybe more than we have. We've reaped the benefits of previous generations. But Lord, as the church, as your people, I pray that we would take advantage um, of the freedom we have, not only to worship you, but Lord, to make you known um, to those around us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, well, we find ourselves back in the book of Acts, and we are in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, and when we think, even maybe as you're thinking this Memorial Day weekend about freedom, maybe you're even concerned uh, as you see events in our, our world and even events close to home, maybe that freedom you think is, is uh, questionable or is threatened. And many times as Christians, we begin thinking about the threats that are out there. We begin thinking about what could happen. How, how long do we cherish or be able to have and enjoy these freedoms of worship? Maybe we look at other countries and, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ who fear persecution um, and, and, and sickness and disease and, and, and how that hinders Christian life. But as we come to the scriptures, oftentimes the threats that are spoken of aren't the external ones, but warnings of threats that come from within. 
that actually that yes there are threats of physical persecution that we should fear and and and, and or not desire but there are also internal threats internal threats of particularly losing the gospel that we should also be concerned with that we would not lose the very thing that gives us life and particularly when I speak of the gospel I'm talking about the good news that rebels yes we are rebels that rebels like you and I may escape the judgment of God from our evil deeds and experience the blessed joys of relationship with him and that this good news comes only by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That is the gospel. But as we're going to see here in the book of Acts, and I think even though we, we experience in our own individual lives, and we look at the church um, as a whole throughout history, this threat has come where the church is tempted to compromise the gospel is tempted to really do it in, in one of two ways, or maybe even both. One way is to detract from the gospel, to somehow attack the, the person and work of Christ. And, and certainly you might think of other religions, that they, they reject Christ altogether. We don't believe in him, so that's a false teaching. That's kind of outside of us, but it's a false teaching that detracts from the gospel. But there's also false teaching that adds to the gospel that adds and says it's, it's not enough that you just believe, you must also do. And as the church continues to spread the gospel and continues to expand the mission further and further into the world, we're going to be faced with new challenges, new opportunities, but somehow there always seems to be this threat even among us to leave the gospel or adjust the gospel. And this is exactly what's happening here in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas have been taking the gospel further and further away from Jerusalem into the unknown world or the Roman world at this time and, and going to continue to expand the gospel. They're encountering different people and in particular they're, they're finally reaching places where there isn't a Jewish synagogue and there's straight up paganism and they're starting to worship Paul and Barnabas as if they're Zeus and Hermes. And, and then when Paul and Barnabas says, no, 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 they want to kill them. But even through that, God's saving these pagans. And they don't know how to act, at least from the perspective of the, the, the religious Jews. So this is causing trouble now. And in fact, we actually have already seen this with Peter, haven't we? In Acts chapter 10 and 11, Peter went to Cornelius. He took it to his household. He was an Italian Roman officer. And Peter shows up. Preaches the gospel and he and his household and friends, they all believe. And he has a wonderful meal. Meal of, of a kind that he's never had before. He had pork. He had meat well, probably with blood in it still. He, he had things he had never tried in his life. And he comes back and he's criticized. We hear that you're eating with Gentiles. He thought, well, they cleared that up. Peter told them, no, 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 you don't understand. When I was explaining the gospel to them, in the middle of the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and they believed, they confessed Christ, and they, they experienced the Spirit just as you and I did. 
And so I baptized them. They, they were believers and they didn't have to keep the Jewish law. Okay. And everybody rejoiced. We said, oh, we're done with that. No. We're eight years later. So it kind of gives you a perspective. We left chapter 11 with Cornelius and Peter. And now we're only four chapters later. But that's eight years later. Paul and Barnabas and a lot of work has been going on in the gospel. Advancement. And look what happens beginning in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea. And we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Getting pretty explicit now. It's not just, oh, you shouldn't have eaten with them. Now, this is what, what some people are teaching. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, that's just kind of a nice way to say they duked it out. They debated Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Kind of said, all right, we're going to go back. You say you come from Jerusalem and you come with this teaching? Well, I'm an apostle as well. We'll, we'll take this up and we'll, 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 we'll settle this. So being sent out on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers and when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Here it is again. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The issues now become clear. And this should actually, in some sense, encourage us. Here we are, a decade into the, the church, and they still don't have it figured out. <laughs> Sometimes we're like, oh man, we are a mess. Why do we still have these debates? You know, we're 2,000 years later. Well, here you've got apostles who, who have direct revelation from the Lord, and, and, and they're still having to learn, which tells us we still need to come and revisit the scriptures over and over that we don't just figure it out and move on. They're still wrestling with these things. And some are teaching that individuals cannot be saved unless they adhere to the customs of Moses. And so here's the deal. Your entry right, if you're going to become part of the people of God in the Old Testament, was that you had to be circumcised. It was the sign of the covenant for you guys and me. Eight years old, that's what you had to do if you were brought up into it. But if you were a pagan who lived and you're 33 years old and you become a believer in the one true God, got news for you, you got a surgery date coming up. And that detracted people from joining. And so in the Acts, you see them called God-fearers. Cornelius was a God-fearer. Hey, we'll do everything but that. And we'll just be close but not all the way in. God-fearers, they, they joined everything, but they didn't go all the way. Some of the Jews were saying, no, 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 no. If you're going to be part of the people of God, you're going to receive the same promises we do. You've got to, like, obey the rules. This is how you become part of us. And they didn't realize how the shift had changed in Jesus. And, and here we see the church wrestling with these things. And so to put it another way, the conflict here is surrounds whether salvation is by grace alone, through faith, 
or whether it's by works. That's what we're seeing here. Is salvation by works or it is by grace through faith? The Apostle Paul puts it this way, writing to the churches in Galatia. And he's addressing, actually, this is about the same time. I think this dissension is happening at the time that Paul's writing the, uh, the letter to the Galatians. This is the dissension, the debate that goes on. And ultimately it reaches, hey, let's go back to Jerusalem. And Paul writes this to the Galatians and he says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Justification, is, I think Jamin preached on this while I was gone, justification simply means to be declared in the right. To be acceptable to God. And he says, works are not the means by which you can be made acceptable to God. And here we're, we're not just seeing it from Paul. Paul's doctrine is being tested by Peter and the church and the apostles at this time. This is what is going on. It's a controversy. Some are saying, no, you've got you've to have works. You've got these particular works if you're going to be saved. And so now they're going to talk about it. So here's the great doctrine of true Christianity. Justification, salvation, through faith alone, and it's being defended here in this narrative. But I want you to notice in verse 3 something, because I'm, I'm going to kind of attack this at a different angle, not just address whether salvation is by faith or through works, but I want you to see in verse 3 that kind of the result of the true gospel. What does it produce in us? Verse 3, this is Paul and Barnabas and some of the members of the church. They're sent out on their way by the church. And they pass through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. Which means, here's the gospel we preached. And they believed. And what did that bring to them? Great joy. Great joy. When we understand the gospel by faith alone... By grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, brothers and sisters, that is the means by which we find true biblical joy. That's where we find it. And we see at the end of this passage, as they reach a decision, they're going to mail a letter back to these churches that Paul and Barnabas have been ministering to. And they send the letter off. And you look in, in verse 32 at the end of the passage, the same thing happens, which tells us Luke is trying to bookend this narrative with a theme of joy. And you see here that Judas and Silas, these are two men from the church in Jerusalem, who come alongside them to testify, hey, we agree with Paul and Barnabas. Who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. But it's before that that I'm actually looking for. It's verse 31. <laughs> and when they had read it, meaning the letter, what happened? They rejoiced. It's the same word. It's just the verb form. They had joy because of its encouragement. So the decision that this Jerusalem council, as we call it, the apostles, 
the elders at the church in Jerusalem with some of the leaders of the churches of, of Antioch and these other regions as they've come together and they're talking about this. Is salvation by works or is it by grace through faith? They conclude it's by grace through faith and that conclusion brings joy. Which is really the point that I want to hit on this morning is that I want you and I to see a direct connection between having a true understanding of the gospel of grace and obtaining biblical joy. And by joy, this is what I mean. I'm borrowing this from John Piper. He defines joy, I think rightly, he kind of sums up the book of Philippians in this statement. He says, joy is a good feeling or an emotion in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. So joy, it's an emotion, it's a feeling. You can't just say, all right, I will be joyful. Have you ever tried to do that? Like, I will think joy. It, it doesn't, like, click on like a switch, does it? It's something that happens to us. And what was happening to these believers? They were hearing the gospel. They were hearing testimony like we just heard from Ariel. They are hearing it and joy came. That's the Holy Spirit working and you saw Christ in her life which reminded you of his grace towards you. And if you were paying attention, I'm sure you felt joy. And so joy is really tied to the gospel. And it can only be obtained and it can be only be experienced when the gospel's rightly understood. And so with this in mind, I have two points this morning. One's long, one's really short. But it all come out the same package timeline. Joy, point number one, comes through the gospel of grace. That's the point. Joy. The joy of knowing the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, it comes through the gospel of grace. Number two, joy is squelched through the works of the law. It's the opposite. So I've got one point just to say positively, and then my shorter point's just the opposite, okay? So that's where we're going. So point number one, joy comes through the gospel of grace. And we see that, as I, I pointed you to verse 3 and verse 31, that there's joy that's really produced through this gospel. And so they're, they're, let's jump down to, to verse 6. And so they're gathering. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, and, and so the picture kind of looks like there's a council, maybe the whole church was there at first, and this matter was brought up. It's the, uh, you know, one of our members' meetings. They were, we're bringing this to the forefront, and there's much discussion amongst the believers. Different people are believing different things. They hear all these things. And Peter stood up. And he says, brothers... You know that in the early days, meaning eight years ago, God made a choice among you. Meaning I was here eight years ago when we discussed this matter with Cornelius. 
that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, this is key. This is what works cannot do. They cannot change the heart. It's trying to rearrange the furniture on the Titanic. It's going down unless you plug the hole, right? And that's the facade that works-based religion says, oh, I can do the rituals, I can do the things, I can keep the list, and then I will be fine. But the problem is, is that you need a new heart. And you can't work your way to get a new one. So God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them. How? By giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their what? Hearts. Works don't cleanse your internals. Works wash you up on the outside, but as the Pharisees were full of dead men's bones. They were whitewashed tombs. But God's work of grace penetrates you changes your heart by faith and so here's where joy comes in here's what i want you to see what peter's emphasizing here in this speech is first of all the gospel of grace brings joy in that it creates fellowship with god you and i by ourselves do not have fellowship with god we are distant from god god is holy righteous and perfect and you and i are wicked sinners we're rebels and so there is nothing you and I can do to kind of bridge the infinite gap that is between us and a holy and righteous God. But the gospel of grace comes to these Gentiles who are pagans. They don't know the Lord. And yet, through faith, they had their hearts cleansed. And how do we know that they were saved? Here's how you can know. The gift of the Spirit was given to them. You see that? That God who knows the heart bore witness to them that what? He was saving them. By giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, meaning the Jews. God gives us his Spirit. And if you look elsewhere in the, in the book of 1 John... John's writing, and he's, he says, well, how do I know I'm saved? And he says, well, anyone who has the Spirit confesses that Jesus is the Christ. But anyone who does not, does not confess that Jesus is the Christ. But he also is talking about, you got to have the right Jesus. Some were saying that Jesus is a ghost. He wasn't really a man. And other people were saying that, no, he's, he's, he's a man, he's not really God. And he's like, no, the Holy Spirit will testify in your heart that you will confess him as Lord, the one revealed by the apostles and prophets in the scriptures. And if you confess that Jesus is Lord, that is the work of the Holy Spirit working in you. And that's a gift that God gives. And it says, and as a result, God gives it. He made no distinction between us and them. Now this is magnificent. God's grace is given to you and I and to all Christians out there, anyone who has believed, God's grace has been given to us without regard to our personal worth. You understand that? 
God's grace has been given to you without regard to who you are. Meaning, anything you've done. Your ethnicity. Your economic status. Your heritage. Whether you grew up in the church or not. Or if you're outside. God doesn't say, oh that person's worthy of my grace. Therefore I will dispense it because they did, 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 did. No, he is confined all people under sin because all have sinned and death has spread to all men separating us all and leveling the playing field and therefore we must have his grace extended to us and what does that happen what happens when we receive his grace he doesn't show distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're even a Christian this morning, and you have fallen into gross immorality, sin that you, you don't want anybody to hear about. Or maybe you're coming here and, and you know, know the, the things that I do in secret, the things that I harbor in my heart, no one can know. And if they did know, I would not be welcome. Gospel of works, and kind of jumping ahead, is a burden to you. Because you know it doesn't work. You know you cannot stand before a righteous God. But here's the joy. Grace in Christ will wash you clean. It does not matter what you have done, what you have thought, who you have done it to, whom you have done it with. The gospel of grace says that you will be washed clean. That's justification. I'll be made right. I'll be made acceptable before God. And here's the reality. Yet this side of glory, I, I still sin. I still fail. And the reality is that I, I can't look to myself and say, but I'm doing better, so it'll be okay. No, no, you, you know, I'm like the Titanic. This ship is sinking. Jesus, I trust you and you alone. At the end of the day, if I don't have you, I, I sink. I die. And that's the good news. We extend grace through Christ. There's joy. This is exactly what he says at the end of verse 9. It happens by faith. And then jump in verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So what's Peter's point? You can't demand works righteousness. Stop doing that. We were saved by grace. God delivered us. We tried to do it by works of the law. And guess what? We got kicked out of our homeland. We got smashed. And yet God was gracious to us. In the same way he was gracious to us, he's been gracious to the Gentiles. And because he didn't demand perfection from us or works righteousness from us, how can we accept it, demand it from them? 
come verse 12 and all the assembly fell silent it's like oh that settles that and then they listened to Paul and Barnabas as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles we don't get much here it's kind of because probably Paul and Barnabas are the ones under controversy <laughs> are they in line with the true church we hear Peter's testimony. No, 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 no. This is how it happens. And Paul and Barnabas said, yep, that's the same thing. God did wonders. I want you to go to Galatians because there's a lot of parallels here. So if you just go over Acts, Romans, you go through First and Second Corinthians, and then you'll get to Galatians. Paul is dealing with the same issue. It's before this council, most likely. Some have come, and they say, you must be circumcised. You need to obey the laws. You need to do these things. Faith is not enough. And so Paul says this to them in, in Galatians chapter 3. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's a word that speaks of being duped. Being a, ca a spell cast on you. Who's blinded you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ is publicly portrayed as crucified. I mean, you saw the work of the cross. Let me ask you only this. This is all I need to know to solve the debate. It's basically what he says. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So when you became a Christian and you received the Spirit, was it because you were doing the works of righteousness? No. Okay. Settled. God has testified to you, that's what Peter said, right? By giving you the Spirit. Paul says the same exact thing. You got the Spirit, didn't you? Were you working for it? Or did God graciously give it to you as a testimony that he saved you? He goes on, are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, you're now being perfected by the flesh. So he even says, and when you move forward, it's not like, oh, you started and now you've got to work your way the rest of the ladder up to finish the deal. No. It's the same gospel. You're not going to be perfected by the flesh. Notice what he says in verse 5. Does he, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing of faith? He's referring to the testimony here in Acts. Acts is referring to here. We did signs and wonders among them. God's work was evident among them as we did these things. It had nothing to do with them doing works righteousness. So James comes up. We don't have much about Paul. He's the controversy. Peter says, this is it. And Paul and Barnabas said, yeah, same gospel. Same gospel of grace. So James gets up. James is the brother of Jesus. James knows the grace of the Lord. You know why? Because he's Jesus' brother and denied that Jesus was the Son of God. Did not believe Jesus was who he said he was until after he died and rose again and Jesus revealed himself to him. So the means by which James became a believer is because Jesus decided to reveal himself to him. 
So James knows, I didn't do anything. I actually contributed in some factor of crucifying my own brother. And James gets up. James is now the leader. He's an elder at the church in Jerusalem, and he's the spokesman. He's the leader. And he says, brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And I want you to know with, the, with these words, the prophets agree, meaning this is, in, this is in continuity with what God said he would do even in the Old Testament. And he goes and he begins to read Amos chapter 9. Jamin read the whole passage, and here's what the point of James, Amos chapter 9 is. God is going to judge Israel for her sin, but he will not abandon her. And then one day he is going to return, Allah, Jesus shows up, and he is going to offer grace. And in that grace, he's going to restore Israel, and then the gospel of grace is going to go to the nations. What has happened in Acts? Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, the apostles are minus 1, they're 11, they need 12. Why? Because they're the restored tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. The foundation's being laid. Acts chapter 2, the promised spirit from Joel is being dispensed. And now everyone has the spirit of God and can now um, can speak the mighty deeds of God. And then what happens? Because the spirit's been poured out, that's testimony that Jesus has ascended the throne. He's now the Davidic king. He's reigning through his church. And now the gospel has gone over to um, Judea and Samaria, and brought them in. And he's starting to unite the people of God, and he is in a remnant form, restored Israel. And now that Israel has been restored, and the church in Jerusalem's there, the gospel's now going out to the Gentiles. Look at what James says, verse 16. After this, I will return and rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. That is what Acts chapter 1 through 6 is all about. And I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. I will restore Israel so that the remnant of humanity, those who are going to believe, may actually be able to seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. And what James is saying here is, brothers and sisters, God is keeping his promises. Our king, our David, has been raised. His dynasty is being rebuilt and guess what? It's not being rebuilt with brick and mortar. It's being rebuilt with people. And yes, there's a remnant of Israelites, and now we're bringing in the Gentiles. But guess what, guys? Because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is by grace, through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. So look at how he concludes verse 19. Therefore, it's my judgment that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles turn to God don't trouble them trouble them what does that look like insisting on workspace righteousness that troubles people why does it trouble them when we come down to verse ah this is going to be a two-parter all right let's um um we'll just keep going and I'll Finish up next week. Um, what is he doing? He, he's talking about God is redeeming a people for himself. This is exactly what verse 14. God is taking from them a people for his name. 
Here's the joy that we have. We were once separated, impossible to bridge the gap, but through the gospel of grace, not by works righteousness, God has closed the gap for us. If you trust him. Now, we often speak of faith in Christ. That's right. But I think in our culture, we've transformed faith into meaning merely an intellectual scent or some superstition. You know, I, I, you know, we use it, you know, I have faith in my team. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll use it like that. Like every year, Kentucky fans, we got us winning the national championship every year because we got faith in our team. And you know what? They've done it once in like 20 years. They're letting us down. But we'll use the same term, and yet it's a shaky faith. And I think sometimes we, we interpret that back into the scriptures. And really, I think a better idea to help us get the sense of it is trust. Do you trust Jesus or do you trust yourself to get it right? Do you trust Jesus, which looks like I will follow him. I will believe his words and I will I'll walk in his footsteps. I believe you. That's what it looks like. And, and because of that, he creates fellowship with us. But I want you to see that our understanding of the gospel that brings joy because we have a bridge relationship with God also causes us to create fellowship with one another. And this is what happens in verses 19 through 21. James says, it's therefore my judgment that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Meaning, now it's horizontal. We don't want to trouble people, burden people. But this is interesting. But write to them to abstain. And then he gives some rules, right? To abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Okay, so I thought it wasn't by works. So why are there now things that they got to do? I think here's what we need to understand here. That trusting Jesus involves repentance of sin grace yes it is free God gives it to us without regard to who we are but grace calls us and here's what I would also say grace enables us to turn from our old life to follow Christ these stipulations we see it kind of put in a different way in Acts chapter 2 I'll just read these. Peter's preaching at Pentecost, and he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is all he's saying in, in, earlier in these verses in chapter 15. God used me to speak the gospel, this gospel that I preached to you on, the, on Pentecost. Repent of your sins, believe in Jesus, be baptized, and you will receive the forgiveness of sins. That's how you're showing, I trust you. Baptism is putting on the team jersey, turning from your old life and saying, all right, I trust you. It shows up. But it's not this idea that I clean myself up before I put on the team jersey. You see the difference? I don't clean myself up, get myself right. All right, Jesus, I'm ready to trust you. And now that I trust you, I'm going to now stop trusting you and I'm going to keep cleaning myself up all the way to the end. No, you, you trust Christ and you turn from idols. Again, in Acts chapter 5, the 
This is what was said in regards to the gospel going out. God exalted Jesus at his right hand, leader and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Notice God gives repentance. He demands repentance and then he gives it. Acts chapter 11, this is with Cornelius. And when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles God also has granted repentance that leads to life. So here's what's going on with James. He's saying, yes, this is grace. This isn't works-based. We're not saying you must obey the law, but you can't continue in your paganism. And if you look at these things, this has caused Christians some struggle. There's some Christians who, who believe you can't get your steak rare because of this passage. I think they've misunderstood what's going on. Unless you're going to the temple cult and getting your meat from the temple prostitute, I think you're okay. That's what he's referring to. You, you've gotta, you can't keep worshiping goddesses and, and going to the temple and things polluted by idols that's the meat sacrificed and sexual immorality that's what would happen it would turn into all sorts of immorality but I think there's also an, a level here going on that Paul expounds upon later in his writings but when you come to the church potluck don't bring your, 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 your strangled pig <laughs> when you got all these Jews here that, that that's like they don't know how to handle that there's there's a little bit of yeah, turn from your idols sexual morality idolatry but eating meat with blood in it that's just blatantly against the customs and traditions of Jews hey it's okay but some of them don't know how to handle it you remember Peter God had to tell him three times rise up and eat you, you need to be sensitive to them and what we see here is that true joy is then found in living for God and serving others so this is where I want to just maybe close us and then we'll talk about how works of the law squelch joy next Sunday I want us to think about the gospel of grace some of you are burdened because you keep trying to perfect yourself through the flesh. You're not thinking upon God's grace, and so therefore you, you compare yourself with other people. I'm not as holy as she is, or I don't pray like that guy, or I don't give as much as them, or I, I, you know, I still, if they knew what I thought about, they would... Oh, they, they wouldn't let me in here and you are basically judging yourself as acceptable by your works and here's what I want to leave you with is that you have been made acceptable by Christ's work on the cross which then doesn't that motivate you then to live for him that's a different emphasis than do works and you'll be acceptable it's you're acceptable follow him and when we are a people who understand that we're also a people who don't accept one another based on each other's works right so that means you can come into church and you don't have to be a whitewashed tomb 
who present yourself as something you're not because you think otherwise I won't be accepted. And when we understand the gospel, that creates a joyful community that the world does not know anything about, but I would say would want to have. And now the gospel is more vibrant and ever being communicated through our lives, extending grace to people. So with that, let me pray, and we'll, we'll continue in this passage next Sunday. Dear Heavenly Father, your mercy and grace is abundant towards us. And you have extended it to us regardless of what we've done, what family we were born into, what country we were raised in, whether we came from Christian family or not, Lord, your grace has sought us out. And I pray for us as a church that we would not forget the gospel and think that somehow we can perfect ourselves by the flesh. And Lord, I pray that as we continue to remind ourselves of your good grace towards us, that joy would fill our heart and that we would love one another, and the world would see that we are your disciples. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing one closing song. Let the glory of the Lord forever.